Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about an amazing new podcast. You longtime listeners of The Brian Nichols Show know him well, and that is one Brad Palumbo in his stellar new program, Breaking Boundaries. Join Brad as he interviews top writers, politicians, and thinkers from all across the political spectrum to give you a new perspective you won't find in the mainstream liberal media or right-wing echo chambers. From guests like Rand Paul to Glenn Greenwald, Brad is having conversations and focusing on issues that are driving America with the people who are in the driver's seats. So... Head over to your favorite podcast app, hit subscribe, strap in, and be prepared for some wild food takes like Rand Paul and his grand mayonnaise conspiracy. Again, that's Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, available in your favorite podcasting app today. We can become great at doing the the things that we do well, the things that are, we focus on. Like I'm, I think our audience is great at selling liberty. I think we have yeah. been amazing at doing that. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C level executives to help them future proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. You start to ask questions that piques interest and get him to feel like, okay, this guy's actually got something that maybe can help me out. And then in your asking of questions and trying to uncover the real problems, build that natural trust. I know I went in the monologue there, man. <laughs> Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Well, happy Friday, folks. We made it through another week. We are halfway through the month of August. Well, almost. It's Friday the 13th. Hopefully, you're all having good luck today. Well, we're having good luck on the Brian Nichols Show. Terrible, terrible segue, Brian. By the way, I am Brian Nichols, your humble host and terrible at making dad uh, dad jokes. But yes, we are having good luck because we are being joined once again by good friend of the show. And it's been a while since he's been on Brad Palumbo. He's been busy and he's returning to the program to talk all things infrastructure, inflation. And yeah, we had to talk about it. It's in the news. Andrew Cuomo stepping down as governor of New York. Three top issues, top of mind. And of course, it's great to have Brad in the show because he gives his amazing insight as always. So with that being said, a great conversation to be had. So on to the show, Brad Palumbo returning to the Brian Nichols show. Hey, thanks for having me back. Absolutely, buddy. Brad, it's been a hot sec. We had you on there beginning of the year quite frequently and then Summer hit. We both got a little busy. I know you've been super busy over at Fee, uh, doing a lot of new ventures over there. So it's been a while since we've had you in the program. Since then, uh, we're doing this video thing. So surprise, surprise. But also, we've been really growing leaps and bounds. Lots of new people coming into the audience. So let's kind of start off here, Brad. Let's reintroduce yourself quickly to some of our new folks here at the audience. And let's talk about what's been happening over in Brad Palumbo's world, but specifically over at Fee. Yeah, so uh, I am a libertarian-leaning conservative journalist and policy analyst. You know, I work at FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, uh, you know, covering news of the day from a free market, fiscally conservative perspective, talking about spending, government waste, regulation, basically anything policy related. So I constantly have stuff to rage about, uh, as you might expect. Um, in terms of what's been going on lately, I mean, we've just been covering the same thing. We, we've been pretty consistent on COVID and opposing the kind of COVID authoritarianism yeah. and the stretch of government. 
that we've seen um, really stretching their powers to their limits and not letting go. That's been a big subject for us. We've also started talking about all the spending legislation uh, and the uh, interestingly and concerningly, the increasingly high levels of inflation, which is something we haven't seen for a while, but is really concerning to us and in, in our view can ultimately be traced back to uh, big government interventions into the economy. Yeah, well, I wrote them the, the two notes you, you said that were top concerns, government control and then the government spending. Now, let's look at the government control, because originally I wanted to have you in the show to talk about one of the biggest falls in really American politics. And that is one Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York State. No more question mark, because he is officially said he will be resigning now as we record here on thir- or what is it? Wednesday, the 11th. Uh, I said 14 days. So we're T minus 13 days as of recording. So, wow, like this was a whole revelation seeing Andrew Cuomo after not even a week ago digging his heels in after the attorney general report comes out in New York, basically saying, yeah, not only did he uh, go ahead and and really commit uh, works of, of sexual harassment in the workplace, but a lot of this stuff is actually criminal. And he said, no, I'm not going to resign and fast forward a week. And despite all of this coming out, he still plays victim and resigns. But he's been one of the biggest, I guess, let's be real, Brad. He was one of the biggest governors fluffed up by the corporate media there for Damn near what? Six, seven, eight months at the height of the pandemic, despite despite his policies ending up causing nine to eleven thousand estimated nursing home deaths, putting covid patients back into nursing homes. Brad, how did we get to a point where we had Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, winning Emmys on the book he wrote about how great he handled the coronavirus in New York state? Now, fast forward just a like what a year plus later, and now he's no longer governor of New York state. Yeah, and, and he certainly shouldn't be governor of New York State. I'm glad to see him go, to see him resign and be chased out of office in disgrace. What It sounds like what he did to some of these women is truly horrible stuff. There was a very thorough investigation done by members of his own party. So this isn't cancel culture, right? This isn't like a witch hunt. They thoroughly investigated him and brought receipts about women that he's harmed. So it's good that he's leaving office. But honestly, and this might be controversial because two terrible things can be terrible, but it seems to somewhat pale in comparison compared to the way that he mismanaged the nursing home policies and mandated that nursing homes accept COVID positive patients. And then, you know, listen, mistakes happen. Maybe he genuinely made a mistake there. It's an emergency. But then his administration tried to cover it up. They literally tried to cover up the data so people didn't know how many people died in nursing homes. At the same time, he was doing media tours, writing a book about how amazing his leadership is and, and accepting an Emmy Award for appearing on TV to talk about COVID. So this guy, I mean, he should have been impeached or resigned or chased out of office over a million different things. But it's, it's actually about more than just Cuomo. This has to do with uh, something that we talk about a fee called public choice economics, right? Ooh, the, idea that that, yeah. the, same, the same selfishness and incentives and human nature that apply to everyone else also apply to the government. People tend to think of businesses as self-interested and profit driven, and they are. But they tend to think about government officials and politicians and bureaucrats as if they act in the public interest. But in reality, they act with the same human nature and incentives as everybody else. And I think ugly stories like the fall of Andrew Cuomo really prove that theory beyond all belief. 
Yeah. Well, and let's take that and let's extrapolate it beyond just looking at Andrew Cuomo and the microcosm that is him in New York State. But let's look at from a grand national scale, Brad. And we're going to kind of move away from Cuomo here because, I mean, there's tons of podcasts. If you want to go out, Larry Sharp actually did a great overview of this, too, about um, Cuomo following. And, and, you know, obviously, Larry has a little bit of a vested interest running for governor back in 2018 against Cuomo. So, uh, yeah, go check out the Sharp way. Check out Larry's take. But looking at we've seen this appeal to embracing, well, there's an emergency. There's a crisis. We have to do something. And this have to do something has resulted in, number one, a brand new infrastructure bill, Brad, not in the billions of dollars, in the trillions of dollars, but also that's led to rampant inflation. So now we've seen our do something leading to something, maybe not something so good. So maybe dig into uh, the the number one. Let's start here. The infrastructure bill. What is this $1.6 trillion monstrosity? Yeah, so the bill is somewhere between $1 and $1.2 trillion. It's got a lot of stuff in it that isn't seemingly restricted to actual infrastructure. Uh, So, for example, there's money to combat invasive plants. Uh, There's a whole list of odds and ends and random politician pet projects in there, including funding to create a commission on gender diversity in the trucking industry. So we're fighting the good fights, uh, obviously, with this bill. (laughs) It's sort of funny, but it also it sort of kind of shows you how Washington works because I know and this isn't maybe super anarcho-capitalist or libertarian, but my own view is that there is a role for the government in building infrastructure in roads and bridges and things like that. So the kind of core of the bill, which is about two or three hundred billion dollars of transportation infrastructure funding. I don't really have any opposition to it. I, if it was just that, I'd probably be supportive of it. But it's just so peak Washington, D.C., that a few hundred billion for infrastructure, which is a lot of money, right? But even that ends up being, you know, 50 or 60 percent of this 2000 plus page bill is totally unrelated. It's got everything from, you know, a welfare plan to pay for people's Internet uh, to a bunch of crackdowns on cryptocurrency that are actually pretty alarming. Some regulations there that could really harm the industry. Uh, but the but the boomers in Congress don't even know what a Bitcoin is. They shouldn't be writing rules for crypto at all, let alone putting them in an infrastructure package. So the idea of infrastructure itself has a lot of bipartisan, bipartisan support. And when most people hear, oh, an infrastructure bill, they like that. But you got to look at the fine print. There's a lot more to this than meets the eye. Wow. Doesn't that speak to the power of branding and messaging and being able to have the art of influence? I don't know. It's almost like we should be focusing on how these these actual skills and and such work instead of just ignoring them and saying they shouldn't be taking place, actually seeing how they're using people. It's like that's a real thing. Oh, my God, Brad. Um, How about this? Let's talk about this infrastructure bill from a standpoint. And I've seen this argument across the board. I was making it myself, but I would love to hear your economic take on how this is going to be impacting. And you mentioned the boomers. They don't care because they don't really understand. But Gen Z, millennials, really the generations and and let's be frank, the generations yet to be born, they're going to have to really foot the, the cost of this bill. That's just added burden. I mean, what's the average cost now? I forget the number per citizen of U.S. debt. And this is just going to only increase that, Brad. 
Oh yeah, it's astronomical at this point, the debt. And this will add about a, a quarter of a trillion, so about $250 billion to Chump the debt. Chump change. Which actually is a relatively small figure. Told you. Compared to some of the bills that we've seen pass in the last couple of years. Like each of the COVID bills was multi-trillion, and a lot of that was added to the debt. Um, so it's a lot of money, absolutely, and it will pile onto the debt. And interestingly enough, what I what I tell people who are Gen Z or millennial often is that the national debt is kind of like climate change, right? Because the way they view climate change, and there's some truth to this, certainly in my view, is that today's citizens are polluting carbon and it's having a harmful effect that will be dealt with down the road. The costs of their actions aren't being borne by the people engaging in it. The national debt essentially operates exactly how that works in theory, right? It, it's exactly people paying for things that they're going to enjoy today by handing the bill to future generations. So the infrastructure bill was supposed to avoid this by being, quote unquote, paid for. But they used a bunch of very shoddy kind of loopholes and other things to pretend that it was paid for. And all the kind of objective analysis says, no, it's not fully paid for. It will... Um, it will end up adding a significant amount to the deficit and debt. But I actually think that's like not even the real problem with the bill. I mean, obviously the debt is an issue and we talk about it, but that's true for all spending. The bigger thing is that they keep talking about this as a job creating legislation that will put Americans to work. And the whole thing's kind of nonsense. I mean, an Ivy League analysis from the Penn Wharton School of um, Business at the University of Pennsylvania, they analyzed this and they found that by 2030 or 2050, it will have a zero impact on job growth and zero impact on GDP growth because this is the whole fallacy of government spending driving growth for the economy. You can't just take this money out of thin air. It's got to come for the government to spend a dollar here, putting somewhere to work, someone to work building a bridge. They've got to take a dollar from somewhere else, either through taxes or debt or inflation. And that so every job created for a bridge builder is a job that isn't created somewhere else in the economy. And that's something I wish people would understand and keep with them in their heads as we talk about all issues, not just infrastructure. Yeah. And let's talk about. So you mentioned inflation and let's look at that a little bit more in detail because we've seen inflation just skyrocket. You were telling me the scary numbers here from July, 5.4 percent was the the rate of inflation here for, for the past month. And I mean, that's higher than they were predicting. But why why inflation? And and you look back to kind of this myth from the left, and that is basically just you can give this money. You This money just comes from the magic money tree. And I think we, we seem to forget sometimes that the money, I say we, uh, tongue in cheek, obviously, but that money isn't just itself value. It is merely representation of the value. And, and if you're just printing the dollars, and there's nothing of value behind it, then it's just pieces of paper. We see this in Venezuela, just you know, below our southern border here, Brad. But we I, is it the arrogance of Americans where we're like, that will never happen here? Like we we're the top country in the world. Like we've never seen throughout you, you know, what world history, these top nations ever collapse inward upon themselves from economic and societal ruin, right? Well, yeah, I, I get your sarcasm because we absolutely have. Um, but it's, it is interesting. I mean, we're nowhere near the Venezuela level of hyperinflation, 
but we're hitting serious inflation levels and it's only trending upward. And we were told that this was just temporary, just transitory, just a blip the first month. But we're now on month five or six of these steady CPI readings and CPI tends to the consumer price index. This is what the government releases. It's a data set showing how like a, a bundle of typical goods that the average American consumer buys has changed in their prices over the last time period. So the latest ones for July just came in and it shows 5.4%. What that means is that from July of 2020 to July of 2021, over that one year, prices changed by 5.4% increase. Why does that matter, right? Because people just look at that. Yeah, is it bad? Kind of, they just glaze over, right? It sounds like, you know, the Wall Street Journal's business pages or things that a lot of people, frankly, don't have a lot of interest in or pay attention to. But the reason that matters is because people think right now, for example, if you look at wages over the last year, they've gone up by three or 4%. So people think that they've gotten a wage increase. But, and this is, you, you hinted at this, this is what economists call the illusion of money. They're actually poor. They actually got a wage decrease because your real wage is your wage relative to purchasing power, which is eroded by price inflation. If your paycheck doesn't go as far for what it can buy you, there's no value in just having a bigger number on it. Of course not. That would be silly. Um, so what, the reason that this inflation is so pernicious is because essentially it does stem from government policy. And we can get into that in a, in a moment. But it's a way of eroding your wages and your paycheck and your savings. It's basically a tax because the government can use it to fund their programs, but they don't get blamed for it like they would if they actually directly raise people's taxes because people don't have the full economic understanding. And that's what I'm trying to bring to this conversation is to help people connect the dots because they should really view inflation the same at, at high levels, the same way they would view an increase in their income tax. Yeah. Well, and you've been having this conversation over and was it the Young Turks with some some socialists and you explain this and everybody's just nodding their head in agreement. But you see that it's either like an acknowledging that it won't work, but just refusal to like concede the point or a an acknowledging of your point, but saying, but don't worry, we're gonna just going to put super, super duper smart people who are just going to do it better in positions of power. I, I, if I had a dollar, Brad, for every time I've heard that, I think I myself would contribute to inflation. That seems to be, though, the number one reoccurring argument I've been hearing from folks is just we have to put better people in positions of power. But dare I say, it's just the inherent nature of this system, this structure that is the Fed and the Treasury that are causing a lot of these problems to begin with. Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, the incentives baked into big government are what ruin the cake, right? It's not really a matter of putting the right people, quote unquote, in charge. Because, for example, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, he was actually put in by Trump uh, during Trump's administration. And he's the one that's overseeing and pushing through these kind of harmful big government policies. It's not really, when it comes to monetary policy, it's not really a Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative, it's a government versus free market. And any government person put in charge of vast amounts of wealth and power, whether they're put there by a Republican or a Democrat, their incentive is to conserve that system that gives them massive amounts of power. 
right? Even if they're supposedly a Republican appointee or whatever, I mean, they don't care about that. Ultimately, they care about preserving their job and their title and their power. Uh, and that comes first. Ideology comes second. They also kind of all agree on this kind of thing. Uh, the mainstream, quote unquote, um, that these two groups draw from essentially agree on the main things of monetary policy. And they don't really care about inflation. Um, they, their goal is stimulus. They think they can just pretend inflation isn't an issue. They're only really now five months later starting to acknowledge, oh, this might not be temporary. This might be a little bit of a problem. But no, we're not going to roll back any of our stimulus or money printing. And so uh, an economist I work with at FEE, Peter Jacobson, he's explained this at length. But you really have to view inflation as something that has a bunch of factors, a bunch of causes that contribute to it. But one big one, arguably the biggest, is federal policy and what the what the fed the federal reserve right the national bank of the u.s what they've done is in order to stimulate the economy they printed trillions of new dollars uh, during the pandemic they just put trillions of new dollars out there in the economy but when you have way more money chasing the same amount of goods and services actually if anything a decreased amount of goods and services because of the lockdowns then prices go up. I mean, that's just exactly what anything would tell you to expect. Yet now they're, they they somehow wanted to say that, oh, it will just be temporary or, oh, it won't be a real issue. And that's because it's the price they're willing to pay is stealth taxing America in order to let them have the power and control that they want. And they have the naive belief that it will stimulate the economy, which it won't. <laughs> What any success yet? By the way, this is completely off topic because I noticed that you did a town circle challenge to Paul Krugman. Did he, did he get back to you yet, Brad? Yeah. So the challenge has expired. So several thousand donated meals will be uh, canceled because he did not accept the debate challenge. All he had to do was take half an hour out of his calendar and literally hundreds of people chipped in to donate thousands of meals to charity. And all Professor Krugman had to do was get on Skype for 30 minutes and oh yeah no my audience they're familiar because we just re-aired our it was the, the debate between eric brakey and mark claire on whether the snowden of, uh, reveal was a net positive for liberty and we hosted that over on town circle and it was a great conversation and it ended up i think we left the conversation both sides i i forced them to be real with you brad so this is sad concede. i just looked it up i just looked it up uh my followers had pledged four thousand dollars and a hundred and 24 to the, to the food bank, which is the equivalent of 12,372 meals. And the challenge has expired. He did not accept. So all of that money will be returned and will not go towards feeding the hungry. Paul Krugman doesn't like uh, to help people, I guess, and doesn't like to talk about his ideas because he's afraid of Brad Palumbo. But I'm well, sorry. A lot of people said this to me. They were like, well, why would he debate you? He's a Nobel Prize winning economist and you're just some conservative blah, blah, or whatever. And I'm like, well, then it should be really easy for him. Yeah, right? he should be able like, to wipe the floor with you. Right. What's the harm? That would be like if, I don't know, some crazy person challenged me to debate and said, here, we'll donate $4,000 to charity, I would have said, sure. And if the, the less qualified and less serious that person was, the easier it is, right? So I don't understand why. I think he knows, frankly, that his his work and his arguments really don't live up to scrutiny. And so he writes his articles, but he doesn't do a lot of debates or a lot of media where he could be challenged on his views. And that's a shame because that kind of school of 
big government progressive economics, it really is intellectually bankrupt on many things, but it's used to give a veneer of seriousness and legitimacy and credibility to a lot of terrible ideas. And so that's why I really wish we could have shown, shown a spotlight on it. Yeah, well, and that also leads to part of the problem. And I, and I see this I've had recently on the show. Um, so Dr. Patrick Moore, formerly um, one of the co-founders of Greenpeace um, and you know built his entire career through academia. And then uh, most recently, Dr. Adrian Bajan, um, he is a lecturer and professor at Duke University, one of the leading minds in thermodynamics and physics. Um, and he is uh, one of the, uh, I say one of, he is the mind who helped develop what is called constructal law. And it really is the idea that um, as things flow through through nature in all, all ways, that they look to do so freely. And having these two uh, individuals who have built their entire careers in academia come on my program and tell me that they see their colleagues who think like them, who are willing to take a stand, but they are afraid and they stay silent. So they have the same ideas, but they stay silent for fear of being reprimanded by their, their peers and their colleagues. And I mean, like that, it almost hearing that made me not give as much credence to the term peer reviewed than I did before, because if this is the same mentality of people who are trying to basically group think people to death in in not even speaking their ideas, just imagine what they're group thinking when they're putting out policy positions that are going to help get them funding. Like, yeah. I, of course, incentives. I mean, you're an economist, Brad. Incentive structures are real. We know that for a fact. Of course, we're going to see some of these people in academia take advantage of that. And my goodness, we see that the people who see it firsthand acknowledge as such. So I don't know, man. It's like, how do we how do we win over some of these people who they're terrified to speak. They, they don't even want to enter the conversation for fear of reprimand from their, their peers. Yeah, we see this a lot in the economics field, actually. So I'm an economics reporter or, or kind of beat, basically beat journalist. And I do have a degree in it, but I'm not a f- formal economist. But when you go to like econ Twitter, right, and you see um, who is represented, it is so disproportionately leftist compared to the actual industry and the actual field. When you go to what economists are appearing in the op-ed pages of the major media, mainstream media publications, it is so liberal disproportionately. But the actual field, if you step offline and you kind of look at surveys of what the majority of working economists believe and espouse, on things like the minimum wage or government spending or the national debt, the majority tends towards a fiscally conservative or free market perspective. Well, well, really, doesn't that speak to the fact that Twitter's not real life? Like it is quite literally like the microcosm of microcosm of voices. And we give so much freaking credence and power to these voices. And then that becomes policy. I have mixed feelings about Twitter because simultaneously – It's important for my platform and I use it to drive a lot of traffic to my work. And I've actually connected with a lot of influencers and people that have been very important for my career um, through Twitter as a platform. But I have to constantly, I've really strived to stop reading any replies, to stop scrolling Twitter at all and just post my own comments and DM people um, and then look at specific people's feeds that I value (laughs) because Twitter itself, I mean, I just feel constantly gaslit by these extreme far right people who have these extremist views 
on social issues or whatever or immigration who they form this like little digital echo chamber and they pounce on you. And all of a sudden you're holding a very mainstream opinion that 90% of the American people agree with. And you feel like a fringe because you feel like you're the crazy person. Um, And same thing, like there's this TikTok video going around from the white house about this flamboyant gay guy doing like a bit that, that he made some social media video with Jen Psaki or whatever. And everyone was saying it was demonic and, um, what did they call it? Degenerate and all this. And I was just like, eh, it's a little cringe, right? But whatever, right? Why am I going to get mad about this? And I'm like nine out of 10 people on the street. If you show them that video would just roll their eyes and just, or they'd be like, whatever, it's a little funny. But then these Twitter bubble extremists, they literally think it's demonic and evidence. This one 60 second TikTok is evidence that society's moral values ha- are falling into shambles. And it's like, they're just so hysterical and they convince themselves that their opinion is actually the mainstream opinion. And if you spend too long on Twitter, you'll start to think that too. It's the same thing with economics. I mean, econ Twitter has this strong built in progressive big government bias. That's just unquestioned and unchecked. And they really attack and pounce on people who question that narrative. But in reality, in real life, they are the minority. I mean, they, they a lot of their ideas Modern monetary theory is this progressive theory from the AOC and Bernie Sanders crowd and the few economists that kind of run in those circles that basically government spending is unlimited, right? They can just print as much money as they want and it it will be fine. And there really is no cap on how much the government can spend. Obviously, this is false. It's something rejected by most economists out of hand. But if you start on Twitter, you'll think it's actually mainstream. Can you steel man that really quick though? Like what would be the best MMT argument? Cause like, I, I always like to see like, where where could we be wrong? Right? Like I always want to make sure we're covering our basis. The steel man of the MMT argument is that the government is not like a family. A family has to actually pay for their whole bills, but the government is both the consumer in this scenario, but also controls the currency. So unlike a normal household that has to pay their bills every month, the government has the option to create the money that it can then use to pay its own bills. And in the modern monetary theory school of thought, the only check on that would be inflation. And they kind of present that as a small caveat. And and everything about modern monetary theory is literally true. It is true that the government controls its own currency that it has the option of just printing money to pay its bills. But then they're like, oh, and the only reason that might be an issue at some point is inflation. That seems like a big issue, though. But like, <laughs> by definition, small. it's the issue, right? Because it's really, it's like a one-to-one trade-off, basically. I mean, if you just print money and then the amount of goods in the economy is the same, aggregate price levels go up. That's very basic, so, I mean, the idea of MMT, it, it it's not taken seriously, even by liberal and progressive economists. It's only some like leftist economists that really subscribe to it. Um, but I mean, it is a coherent theory. It's just the theory itself contains the reason why it's useless. <laughs> it, it's it's like I feel like I'm in poli sci 101. It's like when you hear the argument from your lefty, you know, lefty classmate, they're like, well, listen, listen, communism might not work in real life, but it's great on paper. 
right? That's the argument I hear all the time. And I'm like, no, it's not even great on paper. Like the idea, uh, like you're, you're trying to build this ginormous house of cards and, and all it takes is maybe a little bit of inflation to all of a sudden this entire house of cards comes crumbling down because there is no strong foundation. If there's nothing of value, nothing real substance behind it, then what are you doing? They're also, they just ignore the consequences of debt, even other than inflation. So there are three main consequences of debt, of the government debt. One is that every single year you have to pay an interest payment on the debt. It's called servicing the debt. It's going to be trillions of dollars in the near future. We'll have to be shelling out trillions of dollars every year in taxes just to pay the interest on the debt. Though the modern monetary theory people would say just print the money to pay for that too. So it's like a no big deal. It's like a cycle. It's like a circle that you faster you run on it, you're the gerbil on uh, the hamster on the wheel, right? And you just run faster and faster and faster. I mean, at some point you're going to get sick and throw up. But they, uh, the other consequences of debt are crowding out, right? So the reason that a lot of this, for example, the analysis of the in- infrastructure bill, the reason they say these Ivy League analysts say it won't lead to growth or job growth is because it involves running up government debt, which means the more government debt there is, the less money there is going towards private sector investment. There's only so much money out there, so much resources. We're not really talking about money. We're talking about resources. There's a limited pool of resources available for investment. And the bigger the government investment through deficits is, the less there is for private sector. So even if it were true that you could do unlimited government spending without inflation, it would still be trading off the economy because the bigger the deficit got, the you're borrowing that money and you're taking away investment from the private sector, which tends to be much more productive. So those are the two main consequences of the debt that that the theory just can't really escape no matter how hard it tries. Even liberal leaning institutions like the Congressional Budget Office, like the nonpartisan committees in the Senate, they all acknowledge this reality. Um, But MMT doesn't. See, this is why we can't go so long without having you on the show, because I think every time we have you on the program, the audience is going to leave feeling much more well-versed on being able to bring this information and talk about this with their friends. So I see, and and as we kind of go towards the end of the show here, Brad, I see this a lot in my own circles, right? And so I'm in the private sector. I'm, I'm my day job. I'm not in politics. And I hear a lot of You're my in the coworkers. productive sector. <laughs> That's right. Um, and I hear a lot of my coworkers come up to me and they'll ask, my opinion, because I've gotten to the point now where, you know, we can talk about politics and stuff and and they know, like, I'm never going to force anything on them. Like, I'm just going to talk about ideas. And when they ask, I'll give them my opinion on things, but I'm never forcing anything. And I've gotten to the point now where I see that they have an internal desire themselves to want to be able to feel that they can walk away and talk to somebody at home and feel educated that they know what's happening. And it, it kind of spoke to me that All it takes is us to really start to be the trusted advisor. And I I talk about this a lot from a sales perspective when I'm doing my trainings is is being that trusted advisor, being the solutions-based person, but building that, that not just the person that they know they like, but that they trust, that then will help empower them because now they are going to be able to enter into this kind of new world feeling much more comfortable. And, and when we can arm them with not just the information, but also showing them 
the importance of the information, the negative uh, consequences of not paying attention. And then this is where I want to end the show, Brad, as we direct it this way is, and then what can they do? And this is where I want to give you the platform here as we wrap up. What can folks do to feel that they have some control? Because I know right now part of the main argument I hear is, what am I going to do about the Fed? I am one person in my hometown. How can I compete against Janet Yellen and then you know the Treasury printing trillions of dollars? So, Brad, what are some tangible things that people can do right now to feel like they're actually making an impact? Well, I guess I'd just put it like this. If every libertarian in America convinced one person to become a libertarian over the next year, the number of libertarians in America would double. That's how that works, right? That's how math works. So I guess what I'd encourage people to do is I I've constantly find this and polling bears this out, that people don't actually understand what the other side believes. They completely get it wrong when they're polled and asked, what does a Republican on average believe? What does a libertarian believe? Or, so whatever your philosophy is, even if you are a liberal or a progressive, your goal should be entering in these conversations online or on, on, in the media, if that's what you do, but more importantly, in your everyday life and leaving people with an understanding of what the serious and intelligent argument for your position is. It's just funny to me because people know I'm a libertarian, um, but they, they don't know what libertarian means. You mentioned this, but for your listeners, I went on the Young Turks to debate socialism versus capitalism with, you know, kind of a Bernie Sanders-esque host. And he was great. It was nice. It was a pretty confrontational debate, right? But it was great. Um, it's on my YouTube page. If people want to check it out, just search Brad Palumbo. But the point is that at one point he was asking me about capitalism. He was saying, but look at all what happens to illegal immigrants. They're exploited by the black market. And I said, yeah, so give them all amnesty unless they've committed, you know, violent crimes or something. And he was just shook. He was stunned. He was like, what a conservative supports. And, and well, I'm like, well, I'm a libertarian. That's what libertarians believe. Right. And they don't really understand that. So they don't even have the most basic conception. And this is true, too, in terms of what how people on the right view what people on the left think in some ways. Uh, and so one thing I think people should try to do in their everyday lives and they should try is just to imprint on people what an actual serious version of your beliefs and your ideas looks like. Because if they're just consuming in echo chambers online, they're only actually getting presented with a caricature. But you have the power in real life to show them what the real option and alternative looks like. And, and to make it easy for folks to show exactly how to do that, Brad, what we're going to do is because I, I love the new uh, site that we use to host uh, the program because we can get our episode, uh, not only our episode links with all the, the transcripts and the uh, the categories, but a guest profile. So in that guest profile we're going to have for you, we're going to have your YouTube links uh, so that people can go ahead and not only find that, but all your social media. But for our uh, audio listener, um, I want to make sure we give them the plug. Your video listener, they see here scrolling at the bottom of the screen. You're one of our sponsors, Brad. Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, a great interview show where you're having great conversations with, as I said in the uh, the intro teaser I did there for my ad, you're having conversations with the people who are in the driver's seats right now. I think you just had a conversation with Rand Paul recently, right? Yeah. Talk to me about that. How was that conversation? So that was the second time he's been on the show. This one was about Dr. Fauci and the public health bureaucracy and really the kind of the perils of, of big government. But that's the goal of the show is to talk to people, you know, politicians, think tankers, journalists, or just random individuals about their life story in kind of things that are related to our politics, but not the news of the day. 
but talk about the big picture issues and themes uh, that I take away from what's going on around us, whether that's immigration or trade or economics or culture war stuff, the kind of big picture zoomed out stuff. um, And just talk about the ideas rather than uh, talk just about people or drama or what's on Twitter that day. So that's the goal of the show. People should check it out. If they like your podcast, it's kind of a similar vibe just with a host that's even more dashing and stunning. Um, so they should check it out, Breaking Boundaries, uh, on any podcast app, or just search Brad Palumbo on YouTube. Yeah, and uh, again, we'll include, so if you're uh, on the, the app, go to your app, click the little Brian Nichols Show icon in the uh, the artwork, and that will bring you to our website. Click on the episodes and our guests. And of course, you can go ahead and check out all of uh, Brad's social media links. But with that being said, Brad, thank you. As always, it's always a great chance to catch up with you. I always find that uh, when we end these conversations, I myself feel much more educated, enlightened, and inborn, but also better suited to go out and have these conversations with people who are like they're looking for answers. And I'll end with this Um, real life. And I told this story before, but like you talked about talking about what people care about. I was in Marshall's returning something and I'm in line and I entered into this organic just like five people outside of Philadelphia having like a heated, not like argument, but like agreement about how upset they were about how things are, are going in our country. And like with, with the response to COVID and, and the economics and the healthcare. And like, I just, I'm just kind of standing there watching and I'm like, what has happened? Like you, you see that this is what people care about. It's not the microcosm of Twitter. So thank you for raising it up that uh with that being said though brad thank you as always for joining us folks if you want to learn more about brad palumbo please again head over to breaking boundaries check him out in the show notes but that being said though it's brian nichols signing up for brad palumbo thanks for joining us again brad thanks for having me let's sell liberty and look good doing it with proud libertarian Folks, when we're selling liberty, we have to start things off by piquing interest. And what better way to pique some interest than by rocking some amazing apparel from Proud Libertarian. Personally, I'm a huge fan of their Do Good Recklessly t-shirt, but there's more than t-shirts to find from awesome taxationist theft snapbacks to the killer Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death hoodies. Proud Libertarian has all the libertarian swag you need. And guess what? Brian Nichols Show audience members can rock the latest libertarian swag and save some cash on every single order. All you have to do, use code TBNS at checkout and you'll get 10% off your entire cart at checkout. That's right. Each time you order, use code TBNS and you'll instantly get 10% off your entire order. Listen, I am super excited to have Proud Libertarian here as a sponsor on the Brian Nichols Show. So do me a favor, head over there to Proud Libertarian, place your order today, use code TBNS at checkout, save 10% on your order and help support libertarian entrepreneurs today. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Brad Palumbo. Always a great conversation to be had whenever Brad returns to the program. Again, I, I know I mentioned it on the show, but I definitely feel his episodes are some of the, the top tier in terms of leaving, feeling not just that you have the pertinent information, but now you can take it away and actually use it in real life. That is our number one goal here, to give you guys tools in your tool belt to help you when you're on your path to selling liberty, or at the very least, helping people buy liberty. So, uh, in yeah, we'll be digging more into that in the future, the ideas of buying liberty. Um, so, stay tuned. But otherwise, with that being said, uh, if you enjoyed the episode, I would love to hear about it. So, do me a favor. Please share the episode and make sure you give Brad a 
tag on social media. I'll include his social media links there in the show notes. Hit the artwork in your podcast catcher. It'll bring you right to the Brian Nichols Show page as well as to all of our different guests. Uh, in this case, it'll be Brad and his different social media links. Uh, and as for me, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at B Nichols Liberty. Also, you want to get in touch, email me, Brian at Brian Nichols Show. Also, we have expanded our Patreon. I am so excited because now at the Patreon, not only do we have our two, and I'm going to my Patreon page right now, not only do we have our two traditional Patreon levels, which are, of course, our five and ten dollar member per month levels, but now we also have two additional levels. We have our sales manager role as well as our director of sales. Um, now, if you want to become a sales manager or a director of sales, what are you going to get? Access one-on-one, yours truly once a quarter with sales managers, and then for you sales directors, once a, a month, you get to have a one-on-one with me, and we can talk anything from how to uh, effectively enter into uh, the conversation, you know, being able to cold call into large organizations. And by the way, this is not exclusively for politics. This is for real life sales coaching as well. So if you are a sales professional and you are looking for some help trying to get into those deals or looking to, uh, you know, get through the sales cycle, which decision makers should you be speaking to? Which questions should you be asking? How can you go ahead and actually get the, uh, the, the paperwork completed, get the signature on that, uh, that dotted line, that, that solid line, whatever your, your company uses. How can you make sure you get that paperwork in? That's the main goal, right? To be able to close the deal. Uh, Brian Nichols Show Patreon. I'm making sure I'm uh, giving you guys a chance to pick my brain. I'm a sales executive here in the greater telecommunications and cybersecurity world. Been doing this for a while. And and I want to bring that not just to the greater liberty world, but to you. So if you're interested in those one-on-one coaching sessions, $25 a month or $50 a month for our Patreon supporters at our sales manager and sales director roles. Now, uh, I want to give a shout out to our already existing Patreon uh, supporters, and they are awesome folks. Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Hody Johns, Craig DeCasa, and the We Are Libertarians big channel. Thank you for all the love and support. And again, a special shout out to Michael Lima, again, for helping us out there at Young Americans for Liberty with getting all that awesome swag for the eBooks, as well as for the bumper stickers for the folks down there when I couldn't make it. So shout out to you, Michael. You are Patreon extraordinaire. Uh, otherwise, folks, if you want to go ahead and support The Brian Nichols Show, head to briannicholshow.com forward slash support. You can become, again, a Patreon supporting listener, or you can give a one-time PayPal donation, however you want to do it, $5, $10, $15, $20, whatever it may be, every little bit goes right back into the program. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Also, if you want to go ahead and rock some awesome Brian Nichols Show swag, uh, and you can go ahead and get 10% off all orders at the Brian Nichols Show shop, sponsored by Proud Libertarian. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash shop, and you can get a plethora of awesome, awesome swag. Uh, a link there in the show notes. And then one final plug to the Sound Mind Creative Group. I've said it once. I'll say it again. I'm representing these guys in terms of helping them with PR and marketing as is our good friend Chris Goizetta, and we are looking to help get them on some different podcasts out there. So if you either have a show, uh, a YouTube channel, uh, uh, or hey, how about this? If you have a, a news article uh, that you'd like to write about the Soundmind Creative Group, we would love to introduce you to them. So please email me, Brian, at com. But with that being said, folks, uh, not sure yet what we're going to do for Sunday. Probably end up having a, a best of episode. Uh, go into the archives. Uh, candidly, we have not had many candidates uh, here uh, on the program recently. So I'm going to do an ask. If you want 
to get a candidate on the program. If you are in a, uh, if you, hey, if you are a candidate and you want to get on the program, please email me, brian at briannicholsshow.com. Would love to have you on the program. Uh, but yeah, coming up on Monday, of course, we will have our conversation, all things sales with Jeremy Todd. And then airing on Wednesday, I am super pumped. It's a conversation about a brand new book. It is The Undefeated Marketing System by Philip Stutz. Now, Philip Stutz joins the show as a uh, an expert in marketing, helping bring his uh, marketing uh, expertise in political campaigns to not just politics, but to how we can do it here in the liberty world. We've been talking about this, but Philip digs into that in more on next Wednesday's episode, so make sure you hit the subscribe button so you're not missing a single episode of The Brian Nichols Show. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Brad Palumbo. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Have you checked out the new Brian Nichols Show collection over at Proud Libertarian? Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash shop and you can grab some amazing Liberty swag that will definitely help pique some interest from our good ideas don't require force snapbacks, Alexa overthrow the government t-shirts, question everything mugs, and of course our ever popular don't hurt people, don't take people's stuff bumper sticker. The Brian Nichols Show shop over at Proud Libertarian has all the Liberty swag you need. And hey, if you're looking for more awesome Liberty apparel, check out the rest of the amazing Proud Libertarian store while you're over there. And be sure to use code TBNS at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. That's right, 10% off your entire order from Proud Libertarian, including everything over at the Brian Nichols Show shop. And all you have to use is code TBNS at checkout. One more time, head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash shop and check out the brand new Brian Nichols Show store over at Proud Libertarian and use code TBNS at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.